big misconception comes down to what it is that we're getting hired to do but then more additional work gets on top of us that you never agreed to it. Oh, you edited the video? Great. Did you do the motion graphics? Did you do the thumbnail? Did you do the 60% retention research? And it's like, whoa, 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 when did that ever get touched on? I'm willing to learn, but does that then change the whole dynamic of what we originally agreed to? Tony Santos is an editor who has had a fantastic collaborative career with Thomas Frank. Both of them have figured out what other creators get wrong, such as over-assuming the role of the editor. And we want to bring you into this conversation. The more you specialize down, the higher you're going to get paid because you're going to be an expert in that career. If you feel like you are micromanaging, then yeah, that's a red flag. You don't have to micromanage. The creator-editor relationship is kind of like a marriage in that sense. Creators are now also in a way looking for an assistant creator. They may just not know it. This video podcast was recorded with Riverside. It is the best remote video recording tool for podcasts. You can find out more about them later. We've been in this space for a very long time, I think. Uh, we've probably worked for quite a few creators, and we've also been very loyal to a specific creator for a long time as well. I think we've seen and witnessed the way that the hiring culture has developed on YouTube over these years. For you, in your perspective, what is the hiring culture on YouTube right now? Disclaimer, I'm only speaking from my own experience here, so nothing I'm saying is definitive, right? Because uh, I know there's going to be a lot of nuances to this. So to give context to, to people that don't know me, like I, I've been editing for fun since 15. I'm about to be 29, but I've been in YouTube also equally as long, so almost 15 years now. And when I started doing things professionally, I realized some of the skills that, that were kind of more what I consider to be an editor's like toolkit, like their own skill is going to come down to things like storytelling, splicing, uh, doing some images, some B-roll, knowing how to utilize that to tell the story. That to me was what I assumed was going to be the job that I was getting hired for. But then I realized really quickly, creators are now also in a way looking for an assistant creator. They may just not know it. Oh, Wow. Shit. I've, I do see it that way. You're absolutely right. It's the open secret that the editing process is one of the most time consuming and mentally exhausting processes of being a creator. Giving it to one person, that is your job. Off you go. In reflection to, let's just say, uh, editors on a television show, is the director assuming that one editor is doing the VFX? Is that one editor doing all of the, the motion graphics? Is that editor doing all of the cuts of the music cues? It can be toxic to assume that they have all of those skills. Editors have become more in demand in terms of overall skill, but yet also sometimes the pay hasn't increased because of it. It's definitely extremely specialized in traditional media. So I never color graded. We always had colorists. I never did VFX. And we'd lots of times have sound designers. I was literally the picture editor. That's kind of my world that I started out in. And you get paid way better too, to Hayden's point. It's that notion that the more you specialize down, the higher you're going to get paid because you're going to be an expert in that career. It's weird how that works. Like you have less skills and you're more specialized and you get paid more than having more skills and getting paid less. It's really, it's really strange. I would even say it's up to the creator to recognize, am I gonna be working with one person? Because I think a lot of creators like to be lean. The more you build the team, the more responsible you are for like, not just five people, but now 10 people and 15 people. Some creators actually don't want that. I'm thinking maybe there's a bit of a choice and a bit of a distinction and a bit of a discussion and what the creator wants and understands each individual responsibility. Do they want an editor 
or editors, or do they actually want a creator assistant? If we start building up these big creative teams, we're just gonna end up exactly like Hollywood and there's no intrinsic value to that because that already exists. If we're gonna have that authenticity that YouTube likes to tout all around, we need to have extremely small teams. It even makes me think about what we're going through on the podcast right now. We have creative minds and Hayden's very, very creative, but at this point, like so much is resting on his shoulders to make those creative decisions. We currently have three editors working on three different episodes right now. And we got two editors on, on three different intros. We are hiring, we're expanding the team. Yeah, so we're struggling, we're trying to figure out like, okay, maybe we need to hire a creative director, you know, like that assistant creator role, honestly, like you could compare it to that. Tony, for you, if you were to be looking for a new job, right now what would be the red flags for you to make you not want to take that job if you don't specify the software i need to know i'm already like do you even know what you're expecting me to know then at that point second thing would be is it going to be remote remote or on site because obviously that's going to depend on where i live thirdly i need some examples of what you're looking for because i need to know the style and like the flavor of what you like and then lastly just how much they're asking of me because if you're asking me to be all these specialists in different things, but my pay is only like $20 an hour, I'm like, that's just not going to work. Editing takes up such a long, a large aspect of production. But then also I think a lot of uh, creators are not willing to be able to respect that. Respect how much responsibility and how much time there is and then be able to make sure they are compensated appropriately for the amount of effort and creative energy that is given. Now, given that some creators are still trying to grow themselves and probably can't quite afford it, I understand that, but that needs to be challenged. If you're expecting an editor to be taking care of all of those jobs, that still requires a high pay. I completely understand the aspect that like, I can't afford it or like, or anything along the lines of that. Cause I get it. It's not like I'm over here balling with money either. I just think the difference that comes with it is that if you know, or at least have an understanding of just how much you're asking of someone, you should then be able to empathize and say, listen, I can only give you, I don't know, let's say if I was hiring someone, I could probably do like a grand a month at most, right? And I'll say, look, this is all I can offer you, but I will be alongside you doing all of this. And the second we do better, you're going to get better pay. Like be willing to be in the trenches with them because at that point, if I don't at least feel like you understand my point of view, I feel like I'm just gonna get taken advantage of at that point. So Hayden had a little bit of an accident. While Tony and my cameras look fantastic, Hayden used his laptop camera. And there's a reason for that. He accidentally deleted his DSLR footage. Wait, no, 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 no. And it's the second time this has happened. Thankfully, the podcast was saved because we recorded on Riverside, which keeps a cloud recording of all of your video calls. If you're not using Riverside for all of your virtual meetings, you're making a big mistake. I've even been using it for consultations as soon as we're done, I get to send them the entire recording. And not to mention the recording quality is freaking it's good, which is why we like to use it for podcasting. And we love it because it records each audio and video track separately so that editing is such a breeze when we get into post. Which means our editor can get started on cutting it almost immediately. And even if you or your guest has absolute garbage internet, it doesn't matter. Because remember that one time when we were in the hotel room? I mean, the call kept on jostling. I thought we lost it, but because Riverside records locally and then uploads, the call was perfect. And it's easy for the guests. They don't need to install anything. You just send them the link and you can start recording. It even says like, roll out the red carpet. It's kind of, it's kind of cool. Yeah, it makes it, me feel special. It makes me feel so special. Riverside can also auto-transcribe your recording and use its text-based editing tool to edit it 
right there. If you're podcasting, creating video content, or recording online calls, then sign up to Riverside.fm for free and use code EDITINGPODCAST for 20% off. And you can find that link in the description, and we'll see you back in the interview. There was a really, really great perspective that uh, Samir from Colin Samir gave us. Imagine their channel like a train, and it's starting getting really, really fast momentum and they're able to keep it running relatively well. But the mistake that a lot of creators end up making is they're having the people that are hiring or waiting on the platforms and they're not slowing down the train. And of course, no one's gonna be able to jump on that quickly. I think some creators should be able to slow down that train. Hey, come on on and let me show you how to get this train back up to speed. And now we can probably get it to go faster. That's a perfect example of what happened with me. Because when I was editing before Tom, I had a very specific like toolkit and I, I knew what I knew at the time but when Tom hired me I actually was very underqualified but the difference was I was in the YouTube sphere for a long time I actually did manage to work with one big creator before him but when it comes to the skill set I didn't have it and I told him listen I love learning if you need me to learn this stuff give me a month and I'll learn it and he gave me that opportunity he slowed down that train and I actually in less than a month I wasn't perfect but I was ready to go. Well, what did Thomas teach you over that month? So I had to basically learn Premiere, never touched it. I touched After Effects very slightly. I had to learn the rhythm to his videos, how he likes to use B-roll. He basically dumped his brain into mine. So then that way I finally found that rhythm and then I developed my own brain alongside his. I've even experienced this where uh, I've started working for Creator. They send me one of their videos and go, hey, do this. Or they show me another video and I was like, hey, I really like this video, do this. I was like, okay, well, can you tell me what it is that you liked about the video? And they went, no, I don't know. The creators have spent the time learning those skills. And so it actually ends up becoming obvious to them. And then they get offended that someone has not already had that lesson themselves when they've probably not had that experience. Maybe some creators or whoever forget that even though you have your way of doing it, an editor never worked with you. So let's say I've been editing for like seven years before I met you. I developed my own style, my own flavor, my own what I consider to be funny. And if I'm getting brain dumped into how you like things, I think they forget that there's that time period of adjustment. And some people, like you're saying, they just don't want that. They're like, how do you not know already what I like? It's like, I met you yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious what specific things Tom did to bring you up to speed. And what was that process like? Just like any editor, I'm sure. Open a timeline and let me take a look. The second you can say someone's timeline, which is why any single time someone wants to work with me on the side, I ask, can I get an exact video of what you've done? Or is it possible your editor or you can send me a project? Because the second I can scan it, I can either already see how to improve it or it just lets me know how you like to do things. But the best thing that Tom did straight up was he was willing to be in the trenches with me. Instead of just saying, figure it out, he said, let's go through this and I'll explain every decision I made and why I made it. So you were literally remote on a video call looking at the same project or the same timeline. Yeah, it was like that for sure. He also just let me download it and I got to just mess around in there and just see how we did things. It kind of makes me feel like when we see a car and then uh, we're able to open up the bonnet and then we see the engine and then we have a much better understanding about how that car runs because of it. It goes back down to teaching as well, where yes, there is a skill in being able to observe something and then assume how it's made because then you can replicate it to a degree. But it's when you finally know the ins and outs of it, you'll realize, oh, this is so much easier than I thought it was going to be. Or, whoa, they're doing some complex stuff, and I know I need to learn this as soon as possible. One thing I've definitely observed is that some editors could probably be 
uh, working with a creator on a short-term basis. And then I would say probably they would probably get the opportunity to, hey, someone else can go, hey, let me give you some more money. And then they just jump ship. Tony, you've been working with uh, Thomas for like how many years now? We're about to hit five. Hits for five years. Even for me, I was with Logan for eight years. I saw the benefit of me sticking by his shoulder for an extended period of time. Even for you, why is the loyalty to, to Thomas so important for you? When I first met Thomas, it was supposed to be just a freelance. I'm here to, I need money. You know, I'm trying to get my editing career going. And then I just got an email of another potential person who wants to work together. I'm, I'm praying and, and I'm really hoping that everything I'm doing so far is leading me in the right direction because again, I, I want this to work out so bad. It went from just me realizing that, yeah, his content's cool, I'll edit it, to this guy has the same ideals that I do about learning, education, wanting to improve like anyone that he comes in contact with, where I was like, I want to stick with this guy. I like what he's doing and I like being a part of it. And that's the thing, to go back to even what you said, Hayden, it actually happened recently. Um, I don't want to drop any names though, but someone did propose to me like, hey, I will pay you double what Tom pays you if you come work for us. And I said no. And the reason for that is because I saw the stuff they make and that is nowhere near the mission that I'm tied to with what we're building here. So I don't want to leave it. Here's a fun interpretation. I got all of this. Now, everything you've just said, now describe it as if you want to talk about dating. Hey, like I found someone that I align with, someone that I get along <laughs> with, someone that I creatively uh, as aspire with as well. We end up spending more time at our workplace than we often do at home. Well, in this case, like the creator-editor relationship is kind of like a marriage in that sense. It's like, and so you gotta make sure you end up marrying the right person. And even, even to that point, something I think some people forget too is like, if you just wanna keep the relationship professional, keep it as a business, that's fine. There's nothing against that. But I've always loved the idea that friends want to work with friends and I made an amazing friend. So why would I want to leave what we do if I already love the mission, and I love the person that I'm with. I'm still coming back to the dating part. Like sometimes after dating for a little bit, you have to do the, hey, what are we? What are, you got a DTR <laughs> in a little bit. Hey, <laughs> I like, are we exclusive or like? <laughs> Essentially what I'm trying to say is this, like there's a relationship. There, like, there's a relationship building in this. And part of it is also with the creator having those conversations. Like, how are you feeling about this working relationship? Like, what can I do better for you? It's like, we've all had those conversations in our relationships. It's like, it's like there's such a fascinating parallel in all of this. No, that literally flashbacked me to like last Friday where I was talking with my editor. We literally had like a three hour therapy session for me <laughs> when I was just like, what do you think we should do? Should we do this? Should we do this? Like, what? how are you receiving these videos? And it was just, it was honestly like it was nothing about editing. It was just a creative bounce back. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, Tony. And what I have just discovered that I need and I miss. Tony, you're you're such a wise man. Uh, oh, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm too emotional. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. Do you like this music? It makes footage like this feel gorgeous to watch and feel. And it's easy to put in your videos with Track Club. It's a sound library that's disciplined and not bloating itself with hundreds of thousands of tracks, but it only keeps the great ones that can complement your footage to feel like this. We even use Track Club with our Pixar intro. The music's so good, it works with 
Pixar. I can even download the stems, throw them in a multicam, and just start with the pianos, and then slowly bring in each instrument myself. I have total control of how I want the music to play in my content. And if you want to keep it simple, you can even do it with Mixlab. If you want your content to feel as good as this, go ahead and hit the link in the description to get your free month of Track Club now. With the editors and the creators. I think the creator, they're out on the dating world now trying to find the person they can collaborate with. And then also with the editor, also trying to find someone that they kind of align with what it is that they want to be doing creatively as well. So let's just say I have an opportunity to be working with a uh, another creator. What would probably be like a good attitude towards that date and probably what would be like a bad attitude towards those dates. If you're gonna go into an interview for someone that you really either like or even if it's just a job, it's fine. I think the attitude you should have is what can I learn from this person what can they learn from me? And then what could I potentially see us doing together that would be slightly different? When I first started with Tom, I had to basically learn everything that he needed, everything he saw that was important. But the fact that, again, that, that, that as people, we got along so well where it came to the point where I can put like the boss side of him aside and say, look, as a friend, I don't think we should be doing this. And as a creative, here's what I would do. What do you think? Because then that's the mixture that I think a lot of people miss is you both can mix your skills. And I think that's a lot more beneficial. What did Tom do specifically that really kind of shifted it for you compared to the other creators? What Tom does even to this day differently than the people I have worked with before is he is not only understanding to a lot of the hiccups that comes into it, but he understands now how to be realistic with the expectations that he puts on me because he also reflects it on himself. And I don't think a lot of creators, or at least the ones I've worked with, do that, where they're like, I need this done by Friday. But if I say, listen, if you give me till Saturday, I'll give you something better than Friday. But if they don't care, they just want it Friday, it's going to be a poor work. And it's going to reflect on me now when I don't feel like it should have. It was the deadline you gave me. So I think what Tom does right is he does put himself in our position to understand what he's expecting of us. How often we had an edit, we were like, yeah, I can do this thing in one hour. And then eight hours later, we're still working on it. Editing is so unpredictable. And I think the best creators have, have also been in that trenches and understanding how unpredictable and how much you have to be able to be willing to adapt to the unforeseen circumstances that you have to do in an edit. So it sounds like a lot of the answer to like our editor struggles are we need to be able to invest more time and effort and work into developing them and for the, the editor, you know, to reciprocate that. Where is the line or what are you like some of the red flags if you're a creator or if you're an editor? Um, and this is not going to be a good working relationship and like it is actually going to be detrimental to push through this and keep investing in it. I think that could be like if you feel like you're micromanaging. Like let's be real. If Tom had to hover over my shoulder every time I'm editing or have to check on me every 30 minutes, I feel like that's a waste of his time and in a way a little bit of waste of mine because it's like let me just get this initial part done before you come interrupt, so to speak. So I think if you feel like you are micromanaging all the time, then yeah, that's a red flag. You don't have to micromanage. But if you feel like taking 10 minutes to discuss it really quick and let them work for the next seven hours is too much for you, then to me, that's a red flag as the editor. Like, we need to discuss a little bit of this at least. If you're having to micromanage, that means you don't trust the person you've hired. Maybe the first couple steps can be micromanaged, but then part of it, the intent is... Therefore, you can then develop the trust with that person. And then the trust is, as I said, getting them to that 50%, 60%, 70%, and then, and then 
developing the process where you can trust them to get it to 80% done. Actually, and you know what's a good example of that too would be, so the way I like to do things is we're at the point now where I will get a video kind of like what you're saying. I, I will get a video to like 60% done. I always want Tom to give a final pass through of that video to give his thoughts any mistakes I could have made because then that will give it to that 80%, 85% to what we're looking for. Because, yeah, it's never going to be, let's say, 100% exactly what Tom wanted. But if he can still give me his input, then I still feel that that was a collaborative effort as opposed to me dictating what was right and then him not liking it, but it's already published. It's too late to fix it. And I don't want that. So what makes an editor perfect to you? Like lots of times people are like, Dude, I just want to find the next Hayden Hillier Smith because he's he just freaking nails it every single time. What makes an editor quote unquote perfect? I actually have heard that plenty of times where people did say like, oh, I need a Hayden. And I was like, okay, I get what you mean. Like you need someone that works really well the way Hayden and Logan did because that could be anybody. That's not just Hayden. It just depends on who it is that you vibe with or are looking for. And that's why it goes back to what I'm saying. Like, for example, a lot of people now, when they hear Thomas Frank, I'm actually starting to get my name tossed in there, which I thought was really cool. Never thought that would happen. They're like, oh, Tom and Tony. But not everyone knows what I do. And if I do a good job, no one even knows I exist. So the thing is, the perfect editor, I think, is just the one that works well best with you. So, yeah, you can throw a name on there. But then what you're just asking for is like a right-hand man. Yeah. And that could be anyone that's waiting to be seen in their application. Honestly, one of my biggest regrets in terms of this, where it's like uh, me and Logan touted the idea of me and Logan worked perfectly together straight away. This was not my idea. This is why I, I hired Hayden. He sent me this and I was dying. I mean, yes, but that is extremely rare that that circumstance happens. But we celebrated that so much that we then perpetuated the idea of that should be the norm. That the, that the connection and the ability to be able to work perfectly straight away, that should be the norm. That cannot exist. That cannot work. As I have been learning and how to train and how to have creators come to their own organic creative point, here's what I've now begun to realize. When you're hiring an editor, you need to hire someone who can get 50% of the job done first. Like they are able to do, let's just say jump cuts relatively well. Now it is a critical responsibility to be training them to get it up to what it is my style, my ability, what I like in content. And they need to be able to get it up to 60%. Okay, great. Let's keep training and getting up to 70%. And great. Let's keep going into it 75%, 80%. That's also the hard part. Getting them up to 80% done. And that is done with time. That is done with collaboration. That is done with communication. Now... The big thing with me and Logan was I never ever got any of our videos up to 100% exactly what he wanted. That will never ever happen. But I got it up to 80% of what me and Logan wanted and then Logan came in and gave me the feedback and the back and forth and the collaboration to get it to 100% what he wanted. And that is actually the process. Hire someone who can get it to 50%, collaborate with them, and over time, six months, a year, maybe even two years, that they can get it up to 80%, but they will never, ever, ever get it past that point. If there is someone who does, amazing. Give that person all of your money. But that, it is extremely rare that that type of person exists. 
but collaborate and workshop with someone that can consistently get it to 80% there. And what you're describing too is something that um, that we've basically followed religiously, even like just as the, the company as a whole. It's some basically called the 1% rule where you focus on one aspect, nail it, and then tomorrow, what's the next 1% thing you can improve on? Because if I started out with Tom and he immediately needed me to learn set design, lighting, help him with this and that, and I had no experience in it, then I'm just going to succumb to feeling unworthy. He's going to see me as unworthy, and then there, there goes that opportunity. But if I have that desire to learn and he can see that, just do exactly what you said. Like, hey, all right, let's just nail this A-roll. You got the A-roll done? Perfect. Now here's what I like to do with B-roll. The more you can build that foundation for someone, the more chance you have of finding that perfect editor where you'll realize you didn't find them, you helped crafted that person. 